you know, there's kind of constantly and it's sort of constantly shifting. And, you know, there's always like some good friends. And I like the vibe of New York. I mean, you get the itch every once in a while to move out into the woods or move to Los Angeles or move overseas. But I don't know, New York, it's just, I don't know, always kind of a little couple surprises here and there, which kind of keep you excited. And I like that. Did you get the itch at all during the pandemic? It was it was rough. I'm I'm in my one bedroom. It was rough being stuck in the one bedroom, knowing I'm living in like one of the great cities and not being able to actually go out and do anything. I don't know. I kind of I embraced the change, I guess. You know, I got like deep into like recording and, you know, reading and doing some doing some other weird video projects and stuff I never would have done otherwise and and then kind of started doing a bunch of other things and taking on other projects, like starting a record label and, and all this kind of stuff, which now that things are opening up, I'm like, what of all these projects I took on that I get myself into? Like, I'm still like finishing like maybe like four or five remixes for people and stuff. And like all those projects you say, that sounds like a lot of fun once you can go outside and hang out with your friends and go to gatherings and stuff like that, you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I used to, you know, turn some of these things down because I was like, you know, you want to have some free time or something too. You've always struck me as somebody who is, you know, not necessarily super busy than at least somebody who has a lot of irons and a lot of fires at once. Yeah. I mean, I also just really love to work on things and, you know, and do different things and different projects. So, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for like someone who says like, would you want to go do this? And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, it just sounds, uh, and that's, I guess maybe one of those comes back to one of those things that I love about New York where, you know, there's always some like friend who's got some cool project that you can maybe help on, you know, or do something. And, you know, all of those people, since they're sort of, they're kind of getting involved in other cool projects and different things. You know, you hear from a friend a year later and all of a sudden they're like, you know, doing soundtrack work or something and are looking for someone to play slide guitar on. And you're like, oh, I've been practicing slide guitar, so maybe I can do this now, you know, and stuff. So it's kind of cool. That's one of those examples that sounds like a very specific and therefore real example. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You played slide guitar on a soundtrack? Um, no, it wasn't a soundtrack. It was just on a recording that someone was going to uh, use for, I'm not even sure exactly what they ended up using it for. They were looking for like, you know, crazy, uh, eerie ambient sounds. And I was like, I can produce that. And who knows? Maybe it'll end up in a, in a soundtrack or a, a movie or something like that. It's definitely a direction I've a lot of musicians I've spoken with have gone in. It's been this interesting thing, you know, to see... As some indie bands have like found it difficult to continue subsisting solely on being in a band, a lot of people have moved in the soundtrack direction. And given the kind of music that you make, it seems like it could be a pretty good fit for you. Yeah, I even did like I got a job just briefly at, in the pandemic. Someone had asked me if I could do this music for like a uh, like a Samsung phone commercial. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, they had like an idea of like some really in, in, insane track that you know, really exactly fit with what was going on. But what they needed is like something to go along with the animation to make it all sort of make sense and really speak to the people who are going to be watching this phone advert. And I then all of a sudden realized like I could do this so easily. Like, you know, I record, you know, me throwing a hammer at a pan all day. You know, so it's like to make these sounds of, you know, like, oh, I can make something that sounds like rain, you know, hitting on a tin roof, you know, and like all of these things that, you don't realize you would be good at like synthesizing these like cool 
accents and sounds that sound unique and are recorded to be something special, but yet just to kind of capture an energy, you know, I've been, I don't know, doing this stuff where I, I know all of that kind of stuff, or even like, I don't know, you just kind of learn that from mastering people's records and, you know, and all of these things to like how you could produce something professionally for someone where, you know, I'm so often not working in that world and not kind of excited about, you know, what someone uh, who, what they were, someone like that would be looking for, you know, but yet you realize eventually like, oh, I, I, I'm a, I don't know, an expert at that kind of stuff, even though it's like something that a field that I would have never tried to go involve myself in. That's wild. Cause that's not even, that's not even like soundtracking. That's like Foley work almost. That's like going totally. into creating sound effects. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's kind of even like, I don't know, like I'm not like such a skilled musician in that sense of where like, you know, I understand, you know, all of the scales or how every single type of music that's ever been made kind of fits together but kind of more just sort of like transforming sound into feeling and stuff. So it's like I, you know, Foley work is exactly even kind of what a lot of my whole songs are based on or something really, you know, it's like, you know, you get some crazy saw or something and that's the sound which inspires you to create some song. And then you want the feeling of, you know, something anxious or someone like running after you or something. And, you just kind of figure out a way to simulate that while, uh, you know, I don't know, hanging out in your space. For a lot of these songs, is that kind of a skeletal structure that you're building it on top of is a specific sound or feeling? You know, those kind of things just sort of organically come together, you know, so it's sometimes it's a little bit of a basis of that, you know, and then it's where you kind of want something else out of it. And so you kind of sort of just try whatever you possibly can to kind of create those kinds of things. And then I even notice a lot in like the lyrical content or everything. It's sort of almost every song that I write is a little bit of like a big giant ball of every song I've ever written, you know, where you're sort of, or like every experience you've ever had in your life in some ways, you know, it's like the feeling of like being disappointed or, angry or in love or whatever that is and then there's like an element of that which is sort of like the the conflict of any of these kind of compositions you know it's like that sort of balance of you know i don't know feeling good and bad and everything and what those extreme feelings can kind of make you sort of want to cry or make you feel good inside how much of it though just starts from a place of not only just experimenting but just kind of fucking around with obviously obviously you're a pedal guy you know obviously you're an effects guy you know you've got all these guitars how often is the starting place really just you sitting and screwing around on a guitar or other instrument so often i mean it's so often it's like you know i don't know i'll try to do this thing where i'll like just try to be like really proactive and write as much material as I possibly can. You know, I used to kind of wait for some sort of moment of inspiration and I've just sort of like given up on that or something. It's like, you know, sometimes those things do happen, but um, I'm also like a math guy, I guess. And so I feel like, you know, if you're like constantly creating and being proactive, then eventually, you know, it's just, you know, you'll stumble upon, something really great sometimes. And so, you know, I'll just kind of constantly be working and kind of trying to create things. And so, you know, sometimes a lot of times you'll be doing one thing and then you get inspired to do something else. And so you really just have to be open to 
changing directions on what you're working on. Are, are you a math guy? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people like will sometimes say like I'm a math guy, but it's more abstract. I, I don't know. I don't know what does math guy entail. Like, does math play a role in the work that you do? I think so. Yeah, I mean, both my teacher, both my parents were math teachers, and so that probably has something to do with it. But I mean, math plays a role in everything you do every day. All anyways, you know, whether you're kind of aware of that, it maybe is another story, but um, I think it does and it doesn't. I mean, I like things which don't play a role in math, and that's kind of like exciting and why I kind of love music and, you know, abstract art and a lot of things is those things where, you know, you can't find out what the math is or you don't really quite understand what that is but you know you know working with music and sound waves and stuff you know there's definitely like math involved and if you understand how a lot of that stuff you know works and plays with the material you're using you know you're kind of creating then that can sometimes help things out or it can also hinder you too like you'll probably make decisions based on things which you know aren't some perfect grid because that's sort of exciting and you want there to be like life involved in it you know maybe it would have been better if it was you know there's always those kind of constant decisions and you know those kind of things where you have to sort of decide what you're going to do with what you're kind of creating but you know i don't know I, i think math is interesting and i like you know kind of like interesting problems which work out and you know finding things which uh are like harmonious to other things. What did your parents, the math teachers think about you entering into this life? You know, they're always like really supportive, but I always, you know, just kind of thought maybe I was like a failure or something because, uh, I don't know. It's like, they're so like wholesome and, and sweet and like, um, you know, do so many things to kind of like be involved in their community and everything that's sort of going on and being teachers you know, like being a musician and, you know, kind of in a failed musician for so many years and doing these things like tinkering on projects, which are like, it's almost in a way like you're just staying up really late at night, you know, and working on something for yourself to create this instrument that you want to play. You know, it's like eventually these things, you know, work into the world where you can start to share them with other people and other people will be inspired by the music you make and all of these things. And so, it starts to make sense later in my life. But at one point, you know, I just thought maybe I'm just doing all of these things kind of for myself. And, you know, this isn't really like, you know, helping anybody out, you know, like being in a failed band, it's like, you know, maybe this isn't what you should be doing with your life, you know, so. As though if you had gone away at the time, there wouldn't be like 50 other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So. How long of a period would you classify that time in your life of being a failed musician? Whew, uh, I don't know. Maybe from, I guess, it, maybe it wasn't the longest amount of time. Maybe from like 2000 to 2007 or something. It feels like forever, obviously, when you're it. In does it does feel like forever. and Yeah, especially in those kind of years when you could be doing something else and stuff. And you're kind of like taking some other jobs that are maybe more legitimate jobs but just as like a side job because you really want to be doing something else, you know, but um, I don't know. What was the turning point? Uh, I think when the, the band kind of took off, that sort of seemed to kind of make a difference. And, you know, at those, it, you know, it was kind of like growing organically and it even grew organically from then. And then also same with the pedal company 
has always kind of grown organically. But, you know, when you're like doing all of those things, you're doing every aspect of it. It doesn't really seem like it's growing. You know, you don't even realize sometimes that like, oh, this is becoming more and more serious. You know, like, you know, people always ask me like, oh, what, you know, people have used the pedals and and that kind of stuff. And was your mind totally blown when that happened? And, you know, or did you open up for some band or something? And like, you know, I don't know, kind of it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it's like when looking back on it in retrospect or something, it's like really mind blowing or, you know, imagining like a young Oliver driving around listening to Nine Inch Nails and then getting to open up for Nine Inch Nails is like, you know, a crazy experience that I've had in my life. But Uh, You know, the amount of work that we would put into these things, you know, and trying to get tours and building up these shows and all of this stuff, you know, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's not as as crazy, you know, it's not as unbelievable when you're actually there doing it. Like, I remember when I lived in Virginia, some people be saying that, um, like, oh, my gosh, you guys played CBGBs, like you know, I could kill myself now or whatever, you know, that's just the most, it's just the dump, the dump of the earth. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, well, if you were there, it wasn't that impressive. You know, so. I mean, it's one of those things. This is, this is something that I've been trying to be better at in my own life. And I mean, hopefully the past year has served to some degree as some kind of a reset, you know, given that we haven't been able to experience much as we're doing right now, talking to other people on the computer, but of just trying to going forward, be more mindful of those moments and be sort of more appreciative of them as they come by. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, it's pretty wild. Like, I don't know, just kind of when you sort of like go through a montage of all those moments in your head of like, all those kind of crazy experiences that you've had, you know, sometimes if you're ever like down that you're not doing anything, you know, you gotta be thankful for all the stuff that uh, has happened in your life and stuff. And yeah, that's cool. Did the success of the band and the success of the company, did they happen at around the same time? I mean, I don't know. The only thing I really ever noticed was there definitely was like a jump in the success of the band at one time, you know, that was like, there was, we got some, like maybe it was best new music on Pitchfork. And then it was just like instantly, you know, there was people who were like, you know, we want to book your band. No, we want to book your band. You hear about that abstractly, but it's crazy to, you know, to hear that. I don't know. I don't know. Kingmakers is always, it's kind of like an overbone term, but like just that, that, that coverage at that moment, the, the right coverage at the right time can completely from one site can completely break things open. So true. Yeah, it's completely nuts, you know. And, like, we were working on a lot of other things that were, like, you know, really monumental in my life already besides that. You know, like, we had the space, uh, you know, the Death by Audio space. You know, we were, like, building it up. You know, we were having bands play there and do stuff. So it was, like, totally even separate. And, you know, now when people are always like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, that was your house and all of this stuff. And, like... You know, and even the time when some of those shows and all of these things are going on, like, you don't even realize how incredible it is. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, so cool. You know, we're hanging out with Dan Deacon or whatever. And like, this show is incredible, you know, but you're like, I don't know. You know, sometimes, you know, you don't realize, I guess, that that stuff's going to kind of like ever end or whatever is going to happen. And you don't know that, like, there's not going to be underground shows as much in New York and all of that and stuff. And Yeah, but, you know, definitely when that Pitchfork review kind of came out, that was really crazy. And it's weird that there was that power, you know. Being now, like, as a record label owner, 
and seeing the other side of these things. Like we've just been doing a lot of stuff with these bands and all of this since like Instagram and everything is blown up. I feel like there's this huge pay to play thing that's going on now that I just never realized where everyone's trying to monetize every ad, everything that's going on. It's like, I don't know. It just seems like things have turned into like this weird sort of scummy place where I don't know, maybe, maybe they were like that in the past too. And that's how some of these bands got big just by some record label dumping millions of dollars at them. But I don't know. There's a long history of playola and plugola in in radio, right? Dating back to what, like the fifties, if not before that, just speaking as somebody who, who writes for a living, I think it's just so hard to run a successful site now that, Everybody is kind of, I mean, you know, it, it, it sucks, but it's like, if you're going to make a living as a publication and, and a writer, like there's a certain, perhaps kind of, if not nefarious, I mean, you know, certainly like sponsored content and stuff that you would have turned your nose up at, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, like at the, at the top of the conversation, you, you were saying like, oh, you know, I did this thing for Samsung and like, and, and I don't, you probably didn't even think twice about it. Right. And <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. you know, when you were like a 15 year old punk or whatever, you probably yeah. would have been like, Oh man, no, I'm not going to write a song for Samsung. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, who knows though, I guess on some of those things, but yeah, I even noticed that stuff now too. It's like, um, you know, I'm looking at like friends, like, um, you know, Instagrams or something and they've got some sort of thing where it's like, you know, uh, the, the music industry is getting destroyed, you know, fuck you, Spotify. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap, we're like, you know, you know, doing like, you know, I don't know, little like videos for Spotify for like the artists on our label to try to like help them get more Spotify plays. You know, it's just kind of a little bit weird. It's like, you know, there's definitely, you know, it's, there's not like a clear cut picture of like even, you know, what's a good, what's good and wholesome or what are people fighting for or what's you know, I don't know any of this stuff even anymore. And I think that even these, you can even tell there's like these people who are like younger users or other people who are not so like tech savvy, you know, it's just, it's easy to use Spotify. You know, I get it why people are doing that kind of stuff. And then as the hardcore people who are sitting there, like silk screening the covers to their record jackets, you know, and they're like, you know, we're not making as much money because everyone's taking all the digital money and stuff. You hear that argument too. So I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Obviously, well, prior to, to launching a, a label in the past year, you, you've had this pedal company for a while now. Do you think just the nature of running a, a business has changed your perspective on the industry? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has, but we've been like really lucky or I've been really lucky. Like we've always kind of done everything the way that we always wanted to. You know, it's like we almost, and for, I don't even know if we have even yet to this day, but we would always have like a no advertising policy and stuff where we wouldn't do any of that stuff. And, you know, if, if we failed at something, it's like, we would just be like, oh, well, you know, I guess we failed at that. And, you know, that's a bummer. Just try to be a good company and just try to do those good things. But that's, you know, we've been lucky where people are interested in the products that we make. So you know, that's, it would have been different, I think, if we had more sort of struggles with this kind of stuff. And not to say that there wasn't like tons of struggles making these things happen, and we didn't make tons of mistakes. But um, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think that I've always tried to be a little bit anti-business. But you know what, sometimes that's like slapped me in the face or whatever, where it's like, you know, we like misfiled 
I can't remember, like workers comp or something like that. And we got like a bill for like $30,000 or something. So we like, yeah, had to pay some bill of, you know, whatever for workers comp and all this stuff. And sometimes, you know, you do those kinds of things, you know, and we've been lucky. I know people have different nightmare situations. I mean, I've had some nightmare situations with all of this stuff too, where like, you know, someone was stealing money and who was a partner in the company, you know? And so it's like, you know, having to deal with that. And like, you think that you're working with your good friends and then people are kind of like backstabbing you or something. And it's just sort of weird things that you would think being like a wholesome DIY company and trying to do all of these good things that it would, uh, you know, everyone would be cool. But, you know, there's reasons why people do things you know, in a proper way or something, you know, and, and have contracts to deal with things and stuff. It's like some of those things, you know, I always just kind of like had this, I would always tell kids, you know, at shows like, oh man, you, you know, you want to start a company, you know, like, or whatever, a show space, just find your friends, get together, start it up. It's going to be great. You know, but like the other side of it is like, chances are one of your friends is going to be a douchebag that you don't realize and like you'll find that out along the way but you don't want to tell someone that because then like maybe they won't like dive in and start some crazy stupid company or something so i don't know uh you know it's like there's like advantages and disadvantages to all that i mean same thing with i know like people booking places you know sometimes even like, you know, there's sort of this DIY mentality about like people who are booking shows and, you know, they don't really want to work with managers or something because they're like, you know, oh, this band can't take care of themselves or something. But then, you know, being one of those bands who would book tours and do all of the booking yourself, it's like, I got ripped off so many times at shows and you'd realize that like, the guy who was really cool booking your band was stealing from the door and stuff. And so it's like, I don't know, you know what I mean? You can see it does kind of some of these proper routes and these proper ways to do things sort of like suck the fun out of it. But it's also, I guess a lot of people get burned doing stuff. So it kind of makes sense. Maybe you said before, like you wouldn't think that somebody would want to rip you off if you were like this, you know, just sort of like DIY out there, but at the same time, it's easier to rip you off, right? At the same time, you know what I mean? Like there are obviously there are always predators around and there are always people looking to make a quick buck. You know, if you do seem to be this kind of easygoing outfit, then you're in a way opening yourself up to it. Kind of. Yeah. Which I don't know. It's just kind of, I don't know. For some reason, I always just give people the benefit of the doubt and can't imagine why anyone would want to take advantage of somebody else. But that's pretty naive. So it's one thing when you're the only person who's depending on it, but the math changes when you've got employees, when you've got people whose livelihoods are dependent on it. Yeah, that's totally true. You know, and as like the pedal company and everything grows bigger and bigger, it's like, you know, the decisions that you make are a little bit more stressful and things like that and can really have like an impact. You know, in those, like, I don't know, having a business like the the income of everything like swings so far in all sorts of different directions that you kind of have to make some tough decisions, you know, figure out how to, you know, I don't know, you got to like grow up, be a boss at times. Is there a parallel between that and being essentially the leader of a band? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that has, it's like... You know, with all of those things, I think the way to kind of make it and sort of be successful is to, you know, overwork yourself if you can and 
you know, not expect anything in return for it. Like, I think that's the one of those things that you always like, if you want to be successful doing something, it's going to take a lot of work and you're not going to get the rewards that you think you deserve for it. And you're just going to kind of have to be sort of cool with that all the times. And I think that that's one of those hard things that, you know, working with other people in a band where some of those people are like expecting more from the whole, from all of their efforts and everything that they put in. And so, you know, but you do what you can. You've been the constant member of the band. So the, the new EP is out and it's you and um, two relatively new people to the group. You called yourself an easy go guy and you seem like a very affable and nice person. Why has the band been through so many members? Um, I mean, all sorts of different reasons. It's like, um, you know, sometimes people, you know, aren't, can't really sort of like keep up and do what it is that you're sort of trying to do. You know, that's one of the reasons other people, it's like, they just, you know, have other things going on in their life and want to go on and do those other things. And, you know, I always think in whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, you always want the people that you're working with to be doing whatever it is they want to do. So if, you know, they want to go off and be an actor or move to California or whatever it is they want to do or start a family or something like, you know, that's makes sense. I mean, you know, being a musician is like a lot of hard work and takes a lot of dedication, at least in the stuff that I want to do. And so if people aren't willing to kind of do that, then, you know, you have to have that, those conversations with the people and sometimes their idea of what they want to do changes. You know, there's all sorts of different things. I mean, it's also sometimes people think they deserve more for what they're, they're doing, you know, and it's like, if there's nothing to go around, I don't know what to say, you know, it's like, you know, so you, it's not as such a glorious life as everyone thinks to be doing that. And, you know, often you get like, you know, either no money or barely any money or have to pay money or something like that to make things happen. So that's just the way it is. I think of those stories when, uh, when a couple gets divorced and one of the spouses has to pay so much more alimony than they're capable of paying because there was a point in their life when they were super successful, you know, when they were making a certain amount of income and that's where the bar is sort of set. And is that your sense of people's perspective about the band's success that it's sort of based on whatever that highest point was? Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, there's like people just get like a skewed idea of what happens with all that money. You know, it's like someone, you know, once you kind of like, like I always want to run the band sort of as like a family, you know, we're sort of like everyone's sort of working together to kind of create music and, you know, what are the decisions of what we want to do and all of this stuff. I just think it's like really exciting and fun to be doing things with other people, you know, get everyone sort of excited about it, like creatively and everything. But you know, then when you people realize, you know, which I mean, whatever, I'm always open about anything, you know, they see that you get paid, you know, $10,000 for some show or something. And then everyone gets $200. You re you're like, why did we not get so much more money? And it's because, you know, whatever, you had to fly there and you had to, you know, do this and that and you bought all this merchandise for the next tour and all, or whatever it is, you know, just like all these things kind of like, sort of have to be worked out and um you know it's it, it i think sometimes people sort of inherently think that like that things should have been done some different way you know even though everything's like all decided you know it's like and you could be like well you're the one who wanted to stay in a fancy hotel room or something like that or you're the one who wanted to stay an extra three days or whatever you know it's like it's just not like sort of like helpful and uh and it's also 
people just kind of have unrealistic expectations of you know what sometimes some of that stuff looks like or costs or something do you become the kind of de facto business guy when it comes to having to make all of those hard decisions yeah i mean i'm the type of person where it's like i'll end up spending a bunch of my own money to sort of just make these things happen and just smooth it over and just not have to worry about it you know it's like you know but it's also like you know i just know that like things go wrong you know what i mean in those scenarios it's like you know, there was like excess baggage or something, or you missed your flight. And so you got to pay extra money. And these things just kind of happen, you know, it's like you kind of, you know, it's going to always happen with every project that you do and everything. It's just kind of, you know, things that you can use as sort of like a learning tool to try to like pay attention to those aspects better. But, you know, you're always going to mess things up and you really just drive yourself crazy. You know, you're always going to have people that you know, write bad reviews about you and everything. You're always going to like do things the wrong way. It's, I think it's easy to get like super discouraged about a lot of these things. And some people can't really deal with that very easy. I think, you know, you have to be prepared to just shrug off a lot of bad things all the time. And I think you even learn that living in New York. It's like, you know, it's just nonstop bad things happen where, you know, I don't know, you lost your wallet and then, you know, whatever. And then, uh oh, you can't get into that bar you were walking to. And then the tire on your bike goes flat and all of that kind of stuff. I was thinking about that a little bit. We were talking about being mindful and you were talking specifically about the venue and not that you didn't appreciate it, but that perhaps you didn't appreciate in the way you would have liked to in hindsight. And I think like, I think what takes us out of the moment are those small, dumb things. You're living in this magical place of Dan Deacon's playing the show, but maybe the, you know, maybe there's like construction happening that day, or maybe like the landlord was going to turn the power off or something. And those are the things, it's just those small, annoying things that happen every day that really take away your ability to appreciate the stuff as it's happening. Yeah, but maybe that stuff also helps distract you. So you're not like, in some ways aware of how crazy the situation that you're involved in is or something. And, you know, it's kind of cool that like, um, there are just those weird things sort of going on all over the place and, uh, you're, you're kind of mixed in with all of that stuff and it becomes kind of normal. You had said earlier that the, that maybe kind of the ability to do a DIY space or DIY projects doesn't necessarily exist in New York now. I mean, do you get the sense that the venue in some form could exist today? I think it could. And I hope that there's like people who are having like plans to make this happen, but um, and maybe it's just because of the pandemic and what had happened. Like nobody's trying to like start this up and make this happen. But uh, you know, there's even because everything changes so much in New York and like, really quickly like the landscape and everything changes like all of those places that were like kind of crummy or a lot of them are all now so fancy it's like some fancy park by the water and all this stuff it just seems like you know i don't even know you know if that you know there's even the clientele to like kind of go to some of these places and stuff you know and seeing all these places for rent in my neighborhood that are just like crazy expensive it's like is that even going to be the place where you're going to get is enough idiots to show up who are like doing things that are just so moronically stupid that makes it like fun and exciting. 
I don't know, but I'm sure I'm sure it is. It's gonna start to kind of get back to those kind of things going, and hopefully, people start up these spaces. Like, I don't know. That was one of the most exciting things I think about New York is where the feeling that there's like no rules and the feeling that you know oh wow this you know rooftop is an art show or something like and i think that that stuff is probably going to just about to happen and start happening again you just kind of you have to get involved in it the first time you go to a venue and you're not sure if you're in the right place you're not yeah. sure if this is like the right dark alley that you're supposed to be walking down <laughs> it's just like an absolutely magical experience it really is yeah, for sure. You're like, you're kind of exploring this space too, you know, and it's definitely when it's like some weird loft someplace, you know, when you're climbing up a fire escape or something like, you know, you just have, you don't even know what's going to happen. Like when it is like some curated Bowery presents place, like, you know, like they're probably, you know, there's padding up on all the sharp edges or whatever. You know, you're going to be safe, whatever. It's like, you're kind of paying for, you know, I don't know, all of that stuff to be sort of taken care of. But, you know, I don't know, just like some loft party where someone like opens up a fire extinguisher and shoots it off. Like it's just exciting. You know, it's like terrible in some moments in those events, but it's also like just such a thrill to just have that like unknown and unpredictable night be, you know, what your destination is. And I think that that's like, I don't know, really thrilling and exciting. And, you know, that's, I don't know, the fun of life. That's a hard line to walk though. We were talking about before about like, why some of these things are put in place and, you know, in, in terms of the pedal company, you know, why like certain workers comp or whatever, like why those exist. But, but like, there's also the question of safety in a venue, you know, it's like you want stupid, fucked up, silly things to happen, but like there's some legitimate real horror stories there, you know, when it comes to like public safety, like that is not something that you want to, those aren't lines that you want to blur. I mean, and yeah, that's totally true. And I mean, like, I always thought, you know, and that's one of those things where you don't know who you're dealing with. And like, like, we would always, you know, at like Death by Audio, treat all of those things very seriously, you know, to try to make sure that like, we were doing things as safe as we possibly could as people, you know, I don't know if other people were doing that stuff, you know, you still want artists to feel free to do whatever they want to do. But sometimes someone would just like, walk in with like you know chain fire dancing or something and it's like you know could something go awry and you know something terrible happened sure you know so you kind of have to like you know i don't know try to be as safe and as careful as you can and you know just tell your buddy like let's get the water ready in case we need to bucket the water or something to, to stop this but you know we're no we're not firemen who are running this thing and it's not like there's you know i don't know you know, some of that stuff is up to code, but I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough situation. I- yeah, you can be fun and spontaneous and also have uh, clearly marked fire exits, for example. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, for sure. But like, I used to live in Providence, Rhode Island, and like, they would rent out like really big, should have been abandoned warehouse spaces to people for nothing. You know, kids would just like live in it and it would be like a fancy squat kind of thing and tons of dangerous stuff. And then there was abandoned buildings that, you know, we would go play in and hang out in. And, you know, people would throw a party down on some like 
in some abandoned train tunnel that was like, yeah, someone could have hurt themselves seriously, you know, or something. But it's also was like, that was exciting as hell. A difference between like being a bunch of kids throwing a, a, a show at an abandoned train tunnel and like operating a venue, even if it is a DIY one. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like the um, the label was kind of scratching an itch during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, you know, we it was a little bit just because we we're kind of trying to decide whether we wanted to release the A Place to Bury Strangers stuff ourselves or um, work with another label again. And, um, uh, and so it was kind of like, it was just a decision where it was like, I guess let's just kind of do this ourselves. And, and that was like, yeah, just to try it out to see, you know, all of this hard work that we've put in over the years. And like, you definitely get a lot out of working with, um, other labels, but it seemed to kind of make sense to start our own label and do that stuff. And I had a friend that I was talking with for a while, this guy, Mitch O'Sullivan, from Berlin, who actually now he lives in New Zealand, but, um, you know, he was really keen on the idea and, uh, he's always been in like all these really cool bands and worked on some labels and stuff. And so, um, and then we got my manager, Steven matrix to also work with us and sort of kind of work out a lot of the logistics of things. And the three of us just decided to start a label. How has the experience been so far? It's been great. I didn't know that it was um, that we were going to kind of get so much support really right away, and so many people were going to be so excited to be on the label. Actually, so it's uh, it does definitely like add you know more time and work that you have to do. And I'm on a lot of like Zoom calls and you know kind of like you know touching up artwork or mastering audio and stuff that I would have done sort of already for friends. Like you then have like uh i guess a lot more friends that you're kind of doing these things for but um it's been really cool like i've kind of found out about a lot of cool new music and you know seen like a lot of support from all the other people that we're working with and uh yeah it's i'm also happy to be able to like maybe help out some of these bands and stuff and do things who are just kind of starting out and guide them in a good direction and know that i'm like wholesomely just trying to support their music and you know, not make money off of them and stuff. So I feel like we're, we're hitting on a, a fascinating part of your personality, which is like, you could have started a record label with the express purpose of releasing this EP or releasing your own music. But it sounds like you went like zero to 60. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're this like, like real record label in the sense yeah. of you're, you're just suddenly like have a bunch of bands on your roster. Yeah, yeah, it's been you know, and it's, um, I mean, that was also like help with, you know, we got distribution like right away from Red Eye, who were like, there were some friends of ours who worked there and were always interested in distributing a place to very strangers. And, you know, and then they just kind of like really embraced everything that we we're doing with this label. And, you know, that just kind of helps deal with a lot of those things that you, that I never really wanted to do as a DIY label in the past, where you're trying to work to get it into record stores and stuff like that. Like, I love people who work at record stores and I love talking to them, but the like logistics of mailing out individual records to hundreds of places and stuff is just not the exciting part. We talked about this a little bit at the top, but you know, now that things are opening up and now that like you will want to live your life outside of zoom, <laughs> probably tour on the music and do other things. What's kind of the contingency plan? Like how are you writing all of these different jobs and different irons that you have in the fire uh 
how are you writing all of those roles for this return to kind of real life again? I mean, you know, you just always are kind of like working on some of those things. Like, you know, during the pandemic, I like designed a ton of pedals, you know, you know, I recorded like, I don't know, a hundred songs or something like that. I, you know, did all sorts of those different things. You know, we've been still even kind of like making videos and getting things ready for stuff that we can do as a label. And, you know, since that kind of started, you kind of, you know, you start these projects and then, you know, there's all sorts of things that have even happened where the pen, which you wouldn't really expect, but, or maybe you would, but the pandemic like made it really hard to like get custom parts manufactured for these like pedals and effects. And then it's also like increased vinyl, you know, manufacturing times by a long, you know, I've always just kind of been this sort of thing where, you know, or in this way where you, you shouldn't really expect anything, you know, out of anything. And so, you know, if this record is, if if the timeline gets messed up and things kind of have to change, like that's just the way things go a lot of times. And, you know, you just kind of can scramble only to do what you can do with all of this stuff. So, you know, if the pandemic comes back and there's no travel anywhere and, you know, nobody can ever come out with a record because all the vinyl disappears from Earth or whatever it is, or the internet gets shut down and nobody can talk to each other anymore. Like, there's uh, there's tons of other fun things to do. So, <laughs> I don't know, you know, you can just uh, try to do one of those things. And um, I think, you know, having so many irons and so many different fires, like, you know, that's just my whole life is kind of a con- contingency plan in a way. It's like, if you know, the label fails, there's the pedal company. If the pedal company fails, there's, you know, making music. If music were to fail, there's, you know, any one of those other things. And I don't know. I just, I I love doing whatever it is that I'm doing, really. So there's, uh, you can have fun doing anything if you want. Well, maybe not, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) In that sort of like seven year window, I think you had said earlier, um, where you were kind of, well, not failed yet, but, but sort of like a struggling musician at that point. Did, did you ever come close to kind of packing it in and just, you know, I guess just getting a day job or, or just like sort of, I don't know, get, giving up on the dream? I don't know if I ever would have. I was trying desperately not to have a day job, but, um, but that was something I learned a while ago, I think, where it's just you may as well be doing something kind of, you know, for yourself and creating something. But I had given up like already, you know, the whole time that this band had existed, I'd already kind of given up on the sort of a little bit of this DIY um, aesthetic and attitude towards the band because I had this band before A Place to Bury Strangers. And like we really went so hard on, you know, trying to like silkscreen all these posters and put up all these things. And we'd silkscreen album covers and you know, make all of our own merchandise and book all of our own tours. And, you know, we tried so hard, but I was living in Virginia at the time and we tried so hard to make this stuff happen. And it was just almost always impossible. And then, you know, so when I moved to New York and started a place to bury strangers, I was, you know, we were just kind of making music for ourselves and stuff that we wanted to listen to. And I just always thought, well, if I ever like really give it a go, then I'm going to, I want it to be like with some legitimate record label that kind of like puts all the effort into it and, you know, and I'll just focus on making music. And then, um, when that we got that pitchfork review, it was 
based on this album that I didn't even want to come out, which was just, uh, you know, just all of these demos that I had recorded just to get everyone else who I was playing music with to like be excited about all these songs that I'd kind of written. And so, and then that just like completely convinced me again that it was like, Oh, you know, I guess I should just do things on my terms. And, um, you know, this was like this music that I was excited about and it was exactly the sounds and everything that I wanted to create. And, you know, it made a big splash. So it was sort of like, you know, kind of justified, all of that sort of, you know, work and everything I'd sort of done, um, you know, to kind of create exactly what I wanted to hear. And, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of changed everything. Do you feel like you were trying to be something else before that more kind of raw and tap demo was the thing that connected with people? I don't think I was trying to be something else ever. I just thought that it was like, um, you know, I'd just sort of given up on the idea that there would be like an audience for this kind of stuff. You know, I just sort of thought that, okay, I mean, I'm just making music for myself or some of my friends. And like, if you're going to go play a show, it's because it's going to be fun, you know, not because, you know, there's a chance to like for some big thing to happen or something like that. You know, you sort of get those ideas when you go to, you know, when you're booking your first tours and all of these things and you're like, you know, oh my gosh, we're going to Chicago, you know, the big city. I wonder if, you know, Steve Albini is going to be there or whatever, you know, you, you have all these strange dreams of things that might possibly happen that are just kind of unrealistic. <laughs> 